Thanks for making the Locked On Ole Miss podcast your first listen every day. We're free and available wherever you get your podcast, including YouTube. Do us a favor, subscribe to YouTube, hit the bell for notifications, comment, upvote as well. We'd appreciate it. Join our subtext community. The link for that is in the description as well. I'm Stephen Willis. This is the Locked On Ole Miss podcast. I'm here with John Macon Gillespie of the Grove Report. We're going to talk a little Ole Miss sports because we like talking Ole Miss sports, and we hope you like hearing about Ole Miss sports. How you doing, John? I'm doing good. How are you, Stephen? I'm doing quite well. I spent last week campaigning and railing over the potential one permanent rival. And the 8-9 and nine game, we haven't talked to you since that started. What are your What's your opinion on the 8-9 or nine game schedule that they had? I think you and I kind of see this the same way. Um, the 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 eight or nine game schedule on the surface doesn't necessarily matter to me, but I do think that there are they call them secondary rivalries. You know these these second rivalry games that I think in the conference need to be protected. I mean, in in Ole Miss's case, it would be LSU, um, and you and I, I think are on the same page there that. There's a lot of history there um, spanning decades and decades that, um, you know, doesn't doesn't need to be lost. I mean, that, that needs to stay an annual matchup. But then you also have, um, you know, like Auburn and Georgia. I mean, that that could be a game that could be could be axed, um, you know, a bunch of different games like that. And, you know, I I'm afraid that we're moving away from that in the Southeastern Conference, um, which as a traditionalist, in a lot of respects when it comes to college football, I don't like that because, you know, there, there are bigger rivalries. I mean, there are other rivalries in, in the conference other than the Egg Bowl, other than the Iron Bowl. Um, you know, so, I mean, it's it's things like that that I think need to be protected that help make the conference and the sport what it is. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm worried that we may be moving away from that. Yeah, I just don't want LSU to become, for Ole Miss fans, what Tennessee has become. Because if you're my age or older – you do not like Tennessee. That that game meant something to you because you played every year until Arkansas and South Carolina came into the conference, and then you've played them like three or four times since then, and that game has just become another football game. But that LSU game, that that is the crystal ball. If we want to look in the future, that's what that game will look like if we allow them to get rid of it to even where it's an every other year type situation. If it means just as much when we play LSU as it does when we play South Carolina, that's a problem. Yeah. I mean, and one for geographical proximity, but two, the history of the rivalry, right? Because I mean, this is even before our time, but I'm talking like Johnny vault era hmm. stuff. Those, those, those games were, they, they meant something on a national scale. Um, pretty much year in and year out. And then, you know, that kind of, I don't know if hatred is the right word, that that rivalry, though, um, stayed intact, even even with that animosity through, you know, today. And and, and that, that game may mean more to Ole Miss fans than it does to LSU. I mean, I, I don't necessarily know that, but um, I do think that it's, it's a traditional game. It's a game that I think everyone looks forward to, um, every year just because of the fan bases and, you know, the tailgating scenes and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's something that I think really needs to be held on to. Um, and obviously we're talking about Ole Miss here, but I think pretty much every other school in the conference is in the same boat. I mean, you know, with, with some other rival other than their, their one on Thanksgiving weekend. 
Yeah, if South Carolina, for instance, lost Georgia, which that's a secondary game, they wouldn't have an SEC rival. Was that Missouri game, the Kentucky game? I mean, they're in a weird, precarious situation to where secondary rivalries would kind of put them on an island a little bit. But I will say this about LSU. You mentioned you don't know if um, LSU views Ole Miss as a rival. They love to say they don't, obviously. But every time Ole Miss is good and we win the game and they beat Ole Miss in Tiger Stadium, they storm the field. So one side does not kind of correlate to the other on that one. You can talk all the all you want about how that doesn't matter, then don't storm the field um, in a situation like that. So yeah. let's change the subject real quick. Um, over on the right side, there's a list of headlines that are up on the Grove Report right now. You can check out a Mercer preview. But the second one I'm interested in, you're starting to see some Heisman buzz hit up nationally on Quinshawn Judkins. Now, he is, in my opinion, he is the best running back in the country. Blake Corum is coming off an injury. He's the only one that you could probably whisper in the same breath about those two, maybe Rocket Sanders. But a running back Heisman candidate, this isn't 1997. Do you think that Quinshawn actually has a chance to win that award? I think he would have to be – he would have to have an ungodly season, I think, mm-hmm. because – the Heisman has turned in like like you said. This isn't the '90s. The Heisman has turned into a quarterback award, um, for the most part. I mean, I, I think it would be kind of foolish to say otherwise. But I mean, technically, anybody can win it, obviously. But yeah, the the quarterbacks in today's game, you know, they they get the headlines and they, you know, in, in the in the modern style of offense. I mean, they they run the show. Um, so I think it would be very difficult for him to do it. Now, does that mean he won't have a Heisman-worthy season? No. I think he could definitely have a Heisman-worthy season, but I think it would take it would take something incredibly special for him or another running back maybe um, to win it just because of the nature of the Heisman Trophy now. What does what, what um, Johnny Carson used to do? Was that Karnak? Was that the name with the envelope where he, yeah. Like, yeah, he did that? You know, whenever I look in the crystal ball and it's like, hey, you know, the the envelope question would be like, what type of season would Ole Miss's offense have? I honestly think Quinshawn's going to be somewhere around eleven or twelve hundred yards. Statistically, it's going to look like it's a lesser year, but from what he's going to be asked to do, he might have a more effective season. He might be more of a weapon than he was last year. And the wide receivers on the outside, this offense has a chance to be. I, I've done two or three pro, um, podcasts on it at this point has a chance to be with the most explosive offense in school history and be up there in SEC history. Now they have to execute, but the pieces are in place. Yeah, and I mean Judkins is a very large part of that, right? I mean, and just because just because he doesn't hit maybe fifteen hundred yards or whatever the mark he is doesn't mean, like you said, he doesn't have an effective season or a more effective season than he had a year ago. Um just because of the pieces in place and the way the offense will be structured. Yeah, it should be very, very interesting. Now, when you look at the two wide receivers, now we have two out of the three first-team Conference USA all-conference players from a year ago in Zachary Franklin and Trey Harris. They are both contested receiver um, catches receivers. They are nearly 50% both of them on contested catches, which is absolutely unheard of. Now, I did a show yesterday on how Zachary Franklin actually helps Jackson Dart. And that this is my point. They they are ball winners. 
these are two type players that when Jackson throws the ball over the middle, maybe his confidence goes up just a little bit, but you can you can count on those guys to go up and get the football. What do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think that's definitely the case because I think the talk at times, you know, with with the wide receiver room is, you know, yes, who can separate, but yes, who can go up and get the ball, right? And I know that you've talked a lot about um, Jackson's use of the middle of the field and having guys like that who can make those 50-50 catches. um, I mean, that from a quarterback perspective, that's a positive, right? Because that is going to give you more confidence to – distribute the ball over the middle of the field or wherever they may be. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's that's totally accurate. Um, and I thought that was a really good spin, not necessarily spin, but I thought that was a really good angle that you took on that with, okay, how does Franklin's commitment impact Jackson Dart and the quarterback competition? You know, that's – because I think a lot of people will look at it as, okay, cool, a good wide receiver, but they don't think of it as, okay, how does this help the quarterback actually? Um, so I thought that was a good angle. Yeah, in, in my opinion, Lane Kiffin and bringing Trey Harris in and bringing Zachary Franklin in, and in, in in my mind, I think he did that for Jackson. He he needed to get to where he needed to be, and and you couldn't necessarily get Jackson over a certain level in the middle of the field, or maybe there was some kind of mental block. There had to be some special brought in from the outside, and then you have the Caden Priestcorn, and you have um, Michael Trigg. Which I honestly, I don't know about. I'm going to ask you about this one too because it's been a while since we talked. Um, I think mm-hmm. Ole Miss is going to run a little bit of 12 personnel this year, and you're going to see Michael Trigg line up where a slot receiver normally would. Yeah, no, I, I think uh, I, I think that that's probably a good assumption. Um, obviously, I'm not in the team meetings or coaching meetings or anything like that, but um, just the way the roster sets up right now, I mean, get get your best guys on the field kind of, I mean, that's a very simple mentality, but um, yeah, I mean, line, line him up, line him up there. And uh, because with him and pre-scoring, you know, on, on the roster, I think that's something that some people may overlook a little bit coming into the year that that could be, that could be pretty impactful. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's, that's a pretty good, uh, pretty good assumption on your part. Yeah, with um, Priest Corn, you have Trigg, and you're doing 12 personnel, but you also have the running back that is obviously, we saw in the spring game, is going to be a receiving threat this year. Mm-hmm. So they're going to be doing things within their scheme that's a little bit different, so I'm pretty fired up about that. Anyway, thanks for making the Locked On Ole Miss podcast your first listen every day. Every day is tomorrow on the show. Mike Huseman is going to come on and give us his expert transfer portal recap on Ole Miss's class. Um, he, he's the transfer portal czar. He's here to talk about all about that. So we're going to talk about that tomorrow. John, thank you very much for stopping by, man. It's always a good time. Always a pleasure, Stephen. Thank you. All right. Take care, bud.